Hey, everyone, and welcome to At The Letters for Wednesday, October the 18th, 2023. Ben Nicholson-Smith here with you for this episode, which is produced by Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. Arden Zwelling is away on assignment this week. I actually just heard from him. He's somewhere between Philly, Chicago O'Hare Airport, and Phoenix uh, in transit as he covers the NLCS for Sportsnet. So he's not with us for this week's podcast but that does give us the chance to catch up with Sportsnet's Blake Murphy. And Blake, first of all, welcome. Thanks for making the time today. Yeah, no problem, man. It's uh, Baseball has pulled me back in. I thought I was off of it for the year. And then you're like, well, let's talk, you know, ARB numbers and non-tenders. And what am I going to do? Say no to that? The only way you could pull me in more was like, hey, let's talk about, you know, guys you could potentially lose deep in the Rule 5 draft. I'm back. I'm ready to go. He's back. He's back, folks. And thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I know with Raptors about to start, I'm sure there are people out there who would want to hear your takes on their new offensive system or Siakam entering a walk or you know, whatever the case. I've got bad news for those people. It's not happening. Blake may be a Raptors expert as well as a Blue Jays expert, but today it is all Blue Jays. We're going to talk some baseball. So I'll be honest, Blake, like when the season ended, the way it did for the Blue Jays, I honestly thought that I was going to just like not want anything to do with even thinking about this team for a long time. Like I really thought that because of the way it ended. And then I don't know what happened, but I found myself going down these rabbit holes for the last few days. I am so deep in the weeds of Blue Jays offseason stuff. So I just had to do a podcast. And like you said, I thought you're probably the perfect person to hop on and get into the weeds of some of this stuff with me as we cast ahead for this Blue Jays team. I think I know what happened is, yeah, it was a disappointing end, and I don't think any of us wanted to talk about that particular version of the Blue Jays any longer, but it's not like we're going to not watch the Major League Baseball playoffs, and my overwhelming takeaway in every one of those games is, man, it would be really nice to be a part of that and have a team that can get back to an ALCS or even a World Series. So yeah, you can pivot pretty quickly to the how around that desire and the how is uh I don't know man it's pretty complicated this offseason just given the thinness of the free agent market I think oh big time it's a bad free agent class like Ross Atkins called it quote very weak free agent class um I think that's putting it kindly like it is a bad free agent class and especially like there actually are some pretty good pitchers. Blake Snell, Yamamoto's out there uh, from from Japan. Mm-hmm. You've got Aaron Nola out there. So you actually do have some pretty good pitchers, but that's not really what the Blue Jays need. They're they're a team that clearly needs offense. And and again, to go back to whether it's the Texas Rangers, whether it's the Philadelphia Phillies, like a lot of the reasons that these teams are really good is because they can mash and because they acquired mashers in free agency specifically. So, you know, for the Blue Jays, this is going to require a lot of creativity as they as they move ahead here. It certainly is. And yeah, look, there are some teams that mash a lot that aren't in it anymore. Atlanta, obviously, famously, maybe they're arguably the, the greatest power hitting team of all time, uh, did not get there. But Texas can mash and Philly can mash. And Arizona didn't much in the regular season, but they found it at the, at the right time. Uh, in previous series here. So um, I, I think the other the other element of that is, is you mentioned that a lot of these teams have added power via free agency. And we know, Ben, that when you compare, okay, player development and trade and what is the dollar per war and things like that, free agency is the least efficient way to add to your team money-wise. But 
this is why it's so important to have good, young, controllable players contribute on the cheap because then you have the flexibility to go out and spend on what is, you know, I, I would argue that home run hitting is probably the most stable single skill that, that you can go after in free agency, um, you know, batting average up and down defense can, can fade and things like that. But generally power hitting is, uh, is on the more stable side. So I, I do think, you know, this isn't the free agent class for it, but generally speaking, teams like the blue Jays that ha- are, are returning a lot of pieces and have, I don't know, 40 or $50 million to spend. You're in a good position. Generally, if you can target power hitting with that money versus trying to, you know, the, the Jays have done very well going after starting pitching, but generally speaking, that is a, a riskier part of the free agent pool than, you know, the slugger part of the free agent pool. Unfortunately, the names just aren't really there this year. Yeah. And I want to get to a point that we're, we're sort of naming a bunch of names because that's really where my mind has been uh, for the last few days, like just going through scenario after scenario. And I do have an article in the works for this for probably early next week. You can expect me to name a lot of names at sportsnet.ca. But before we even get to that point, I do think that it makes sense to kind of establish some general parameters. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we can sort of walk through that in the course of this conversation and just at least, you know, give ourselves a roadmap for what is possible and what is necessary here. Because there's no point in, you know, as much as we might sit here and say, yeah, they should sign, you know, Yamamoto and Cody Bellinger and Shohei Otani. It's obviously not going to happen, right? So, you know, let's let's try to make this as realistic as possible. And I guess to start, it would be looking at the Blue Jays' needs. So I'll put this to you, Blake. Like, when I look at this team's needs, and I'm not going too far on a limb here, but when I look at their needs... It's mostly offense, and you always need some pitching. How does that sit with you? Yeah, I think the the one thing you're looking at on the pitching side is you would love to not have to operate a four-man rotation if a single thing goes wrong in your rotation this year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the fact that right now you, you've got four starters who we can put in permanent marker for the starting rotation next year, and they're eating up only $72 million, uh, of your budget, uh, yeah, you need to maybe make sure that if Manoa is the fifth there, that after Manoa, there are more options than there were this year. And there's Bowden Francis and Ricky Tiedemann and some, you know, rule five eligible guys, but you'd probably love to bring in a vet or two to compete for that fifth role. And if not offer some length out of the bullpen, don't think we really need to address the bullpen much today. They've got eight relievers. If we assume Adam Simbers out non-tendered and we assume Chad Green picks up his player option, you know, even before getting to a Jordan Hicks or a Jay Jackson, they've got eight major league caliber relievers uh, under contract for an estimated $31 million. So the work is mostly done on that side, but you're looking at Whit Merrifield being very likely a free agent. Matt Chapman, very likely a free agent. I've tried to talk to some people since the end of the season about, hey, what's the likelihood he'd sign the qualifying offer to re-enter the market after a stronger close to his season and everyone basically chuckled and was like, he's a Scott Boris client. What are you talking (laughs) about? Um, But yeah, so then then you're looking at Whit Merrifield, Matt Chapman, Kevin Kiermaier, and we presume Brandon Belt could be headed toward retirement and if not that free agency. Uh, There are a lot of holes to fill and not all of them will be filled by guys who had fun seasons with the Buffalo Bisons but aren't proven at the major league level yet. So I'm with you. My focus is predominantly on the hitter side and then maybe a little bit of veteran starting pitching depth. 
Yeah, I like the idea of adding a starting pitcher, actually. And I think that you could legitimately go out and sign a pitcher to a major league deal. Like you could say the rotation mm-hmm. spot is yours. Like you don't have to offer Alec Manoa a spot in the major leagues. He can earn his way onto the team. Um, and of course, like here's the other thing with the Jays starting rotation from, you know, 2023 moving forward. They were incredibly healthy this past yes. season, which is awesome. But it doesn't mean it's going to happen again. So you need to be prepared for contingencies around that rotation. And so you've got one spot open. Like you could legitimately sign a starting pitcher, no problem. The reality is that if you do that, then there's an opportunity cost because those resources then cannot be directed toward your position player side. And again, right now on the position player side, like, this is not even an exaggeration. Um, they need five position players. Like they need yeah. to acquire five hitters. I only have nine guys written in in pen for the the major league roster, and and even then, I don't know that it's actually nine. I mean, once we get into seven, yeah. So I, I think where I, I I'm assuming that you have Santiago Espinal on the fringes, and Davis Schneider is not a lock for you. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like to me, so with Espinal, I would say, look, we all know he had a really good season in 2022. The defensive numbers were not there in 2023. The eye test was not there. He was not a good defender in 2023. He does hit lefties, so there's a skill there. But at 2.5 million in arbitration, to me, I see him as maybe you trade him for cash considerations. Maybe you trade him for a low-level prospect. Maybe you trade him in part of a bigger deal with that spot. I'm looking for a little bit more defense and a little bit more offense. So to me, Espinal is not a lock on the 2024 Which is fair. I think that's reasonable. You know, I know people might look at the, the 2.5 million arbitration estimate and say, well, why wouldn't you at that price? Well, it's still, you know, 1.8 million more than, than a minimum contract. And when you're already a team uh, that we project to be in the competitive balance tax, uh, that matters. Like we are not that far removed from, there's a bit of a weird thing here where I've I've gotten the strong impression over the course of the last year, year and a half that the Blue Jays like Santiago Espinal more than maybe I do or, or maybe the numbers do. But I'm looking at this as like, well, he didn't even hit lefties well this year. He had an 80 WRC plus uh, against lefties for the season. And then we were also talking about there was a roster crunch at some point where I threw out his name uh, as, you know, could he be optioned? Could he be left off a playoff roster? Because really, how valuable is one guy who can be your emergency shortstop in a game where Bobashek gets injured? So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had him in there just because. I think the chances of him getting non-tendered are pretty slim versus a, a trade, like you like you said. But yeah, I don't I don't think it's a it's a lock that he's a a piece for this team next year as much as they might like him. And then even with Schneider, like I, I think in and I've mapped out a bunch of these scenarios. In almost every scenario, Davis Schneider is on the team and he's starting against left-handed pitching, if not also against right-handed pitching. Like he he destroyed left-handed pitching in his brief sample in the majors. Um, this past season. So I think there's a spot for him on the major league roster. However, given that he has options, I don't think that you need to go into the season thinking he must be on the opening day roster because there's going to be an injury at some point in the first couple weeks of the season. There will be a path for him. So I don't think that you need to go in there and say like at all costs, he is he is on the roster. So all that to say, it creates a ton of flexibility where, yeah, like maybe it's 
three bats. Maybe it's five bats. I think it's at least four bats. It could be as many as six, you know, depending on how things go. But this is a team that needs to add a lot of offense. They certainly do. And like like you said with Espinal, you'd like more defense out of that spot. You'd like more offense out of that spot. Yeah, and with Davis Schneider, you... I mean, look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with even coming off of a, a fun year where he contributed more than expected here, telling a guy who will be 25 in spring training and has options left, hey, we we really appreciate what you did, but you don't think you have a job handed to you. You're fighting for one. I don't think we're going to address all four free agent slots via free agency in our conversation here, which would mean, you know, one or two of those are maybe up for internal competition. I think that can be healthy and that could be yeah. a healthy way to send guys into the off season and bring them into Dunedin later. So, yeah, I mean, I'd lean toward, like you said, David Schneider is, is, very probably on the roster in my mind, just because of how many holes there are to fill and, you know, realistic budget constraints. But yeah, an everyday piece, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if he's, uh, you know, sharpened up some of those areas uh, come spring training. Bouncer to the right side, Davis Schneider from shallow right. And they got this one. <laughs> High degree of difficulty again, two down. And part of being a good team is not, just guaranteeing these guys playing time. Yes. And, you know, like I think with Alec Manoa, for example, you know, they could, there are lots of scenarios where they break camp with Alec Manoa in their starting rotation. But it's probably better, organizationally speaking, if you go in there and he's competing not only with Bowden Francis, but maybe some more established arms and the best pitcher advances and and makes that team. Like I think that that's a good thing. You want that in the bullpen too. I really don't see them spending that much in the bullpen, just given their other needs, um, I, which is part of the reason that I've said I don't think Jordan Hicks is necessarily the fit on this team because he's put himself in a position to get, I don't know, does he sign for 30 over three or 27 over three? I don't necessarily see the Blue Jays spending $9 million on any reliever this offseason, um, but they should still go out, obviously, and they will do this, sign guys to minor league deals, sign guys to contracts that would put them at AAA, like they did with Jay Jackson this past season and give them a chance to advance. But there's almost no scenario that I see where the Blue Jays actually spend in a meaningful way on relievers. No, I don't think so. I, I just don't think it would be a reasonable use of what are, you know, not limited resources in the big picture, but limited resources in terms of we're projecting them to have, I don't know, I think at last I looked maybe 45 million in, uh, you know, spending capability here. I like Jordan Hicks a lot, but if he's going to take up 10 million of that, and like I said earlier, you already have eight major league caliber relievers on the books for an estimated 31 million after arbitration estimates. You know, do you need a, a ninth? That depth is great, but you also have, you know, hey, Josef Zulueta still exists, Hagen Danner, Zach Pop, uh, Hayden Yinger, Connor Cook. Like there are, if you are a major league caliber organization, you should be able to produce the ninth, 10th, 11th guys in your bullpen uh, organically rather than spending, you know, eight to 10 million uh, of your $45 million budget on that area. Big time, big time. And they've they've done a lot of investing in the in the relief core recently. So now they're in a pretty good spot. Um, and then, of course, at the trade deadline, they're always going to be looking for relief. They can address that then. Like That's, that's part the of other the- thing. They've told <laughs> us for years with their actions that like they don't worry. Like they Obviously, it'd be better to come into camp with a stronger bullpen, but it's been several years in a row now where basically without saying as much, they're like, yeah, we'll address it in July. Yeah, and, and they have, and that's worked out 
reasonably well. Certainly the bullpen wasn't the problem this year. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a reasonable way to to do things. And you mentioned the spending that the Jays can do. And I want to touch on that. I want to give people just a little bit of an overview there without going too, too granular, because I understand it's not like great podcast material, <laughs> but um, just to provide a little bit of an overview if Chad Green opts into his deal, which would be, there's a complicated set of option decisions there, um, one of which gives Green the chance to opt into a one-year deal at $6.25 million. I think he does that. What do you think, Blake? Any, yeah. any quick thoughts on Green? Yeah, I think that's the likeliest. That I think the Jays' first team option is like three years, $27 million. I think yeah. they'll decline that that's just because it, it's it's too, you know, it's too much term. It's way too and much. E- yeah, and then he gets the option to go one year, six point two five million, and then weirdly, if he declined that, the Jays get another option after. But yeah, I think the likeliest scenario here is Green's back on a one year, six point two five. Yeah, and I think you know if you're the Jays, like maybe you talk to him about a two year, like ten something like that, could be fine. Save yeah, give him the in. Jimmy Garcia that has yeah. like a, a vesting option for an extra year or something like that. Yeah, like that could be a way in a buys you another million for two thousand. 24 uh if you do it that way um so that would be something that you could look at if you're the jays is to kind of create like a a new structure there in addition to just as long as we're talking you know extensions here i think the jays should try to extend danny jansen for a couple years beyond his current year he's one year away from free agency i think this would be a great time to do it i don't know if he's open to that um but i think that that could be a really a really good way to build in a bit of long-term and, and short-term cost certainty and, and keep a really, really good player in the organization. 3-2 with the runner moving. Deep to left field. Gone! Give it a ride, Danny! Yeah, and I think, look, I haven't talked to Danny Jansen about this. I don't know him particularly well, but for a guy who has been very, very good but dealt with injuries in almost every single season, having that level of stability versus, you know, playing out this year for, what's his arm estimate, 5.2 million, um, you know, having that extra certainty, even if you could maybe cash in as a free agent uh, a little bit more coming off a strong season, I don't know. I, I tend to assume that guys who have had injury troubles might take the the salary certainty they might weigh that more strongly than, than someone who, you know, has played 140, even 120 games every year. I think it's worth exploring. And, you know, you can see where it goes. But he's he's a good player. So that's more of an aside. But, you know, working off the assumption that Green does opt into that deal, then the Blue Jays would have $122.5 million committed to 2024. That's money that's on the books. Then you get to the arbitration numbers. And, you know, this depends on... We're assuming they non-tender Simber at 3.3. Some of these uh, numbers will be slightly higher or slightly lower than the estimate. But broadly, that's 60 million bucks for arbitration guys like Romano, Vlad Jr., Biggio. It's a big class. So you got 122.5. You've got 60 million there. Then that pushes you in total to around $180 million before they make a single addition. So that's before they add a single free agent. And again, they're going to need to add something like five or six position players, or excuse me, something like five or six total players. That's what they did last offseason. That's what they did the offseason before that. So I think that's a reasonable estimate, five to six major leaguers. And, And so they're at 180 or so before they even add any one of those players. 
And based off of last year's payroll, which Mark Shapiro said would be a a reasonable benchmark for what they might be able to spend, he said, quote, I expect us to stay in the same area. So based off of last year's payroll, that was around 220 for the major league roster. They have other, um, you know, uh, other obligations, including the player benefits and pre-arbitration bonus pool. But for the major league roster, it was around 220. So that gives the Jays maybe 40, or as you said, maybe 45 million. That's the estimate that I'm working off. So as long as this discussion is we're having this discussion here, I'm kind of going off the assumption that they have something like 40 or 45 million. If I'm wrong, you know, we'll find out. But that's, I think, a reasonable place to start. I think it's a yeah, it's a it's a very reasonable place to start. And then, you know, the reason we are talking about, you know, Davis Schneider and Santiago Espinal and guys like that early is because, well, you just said, say they want to add five major league pieces and they have forty five million dollars, quick math, that's nine million per. Wouldn't that money go a lot further if you decided to fill one or two of those slots? with internal competition and then get a little more aggressive in the two or three slots you're then addressing with your, your free agent budget. So um, that's a delicate dance because any, anyone you're leaving open for uh, internal competition and internal growth, that's something where there's, there's downside to that, where maybe a a major league uh, veteran free agent doesn't have the same level of downside or uncertainty, but 45 million, even in a weak free agent class just doesn't go that far. If you have four five, even six uh, major league holes to plug. It, It really doesn't. And we're going to step aside for a minute here, but when we come back, we will get pretty granular. We'll start looking at some of those uh, specific situations and see if we can't come up with a couple ideas that might actually work for the Jays. So stick with us here on At The Letters and we'll come back and we'll look at some of those specific targets for the 2024 Blue Jays. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. All right, welcome back to At The Letters. All right, we've set up some general kind of parameters here. So we are now able to look ahead and maybe get a little bit more granular. I, I do want to say, I guess this is one more sort of guardrail for us as we as we move ahead here. But part of this too is you have to have a roster that functions. Like you have to have a backup shortstop on your roster. You have to have a backup center fielder on your roster. As of now, the backup center fielder would be, like, I don't think it's George Springer. So does that mean Nathan Lucas would have to be on the team? Like, it has to function. Like, it has to work. You can't just add four mashers, four DHs, and, and you know, say, okay, we fixed the offense. Like, so that's that's one other element as we move ahead here. Yeah, and also, if you don't have a backup center fielder, it means Dalton Varsho is an everyday, absolutely, no matter who the opposing pitcher is, guy. And we saw this year that the, the Blue Jays steered away from that as his struggles at the plate continued, uh, even if you're optimistic about him bouncing back in that regard, you certainly want someone who can station in there. And I think the results of George Springer staying healthy all year suggest you don't really want to go back to that. Yeah, you don't want to be too dependent on any one player. You want to have kind of contingencies behind that. And also, look, for the Blue Jays to improve offensively in the way that they need to, a lot of it is going to have to come internally. And, you know, I don't want to totally skim past that. Uh, the Blue Jays have Vlad Guerrero Jr. in Florida. He's working out. We've already seen his Instagram stories. It looks like, you know, he's motivated to have a good offseason, which is great. Um, but 
that's really important. You need to have Vlad Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk, George Springer, Varsho. If these guys can collectively bounce back, that goes a really long way, and it takes some of the pressure off the Jays have to hit on like four free agent bats. Yeah, it certainly does. And like, look, this this is part of why the Jays struggled offensively this year was not that their free agent signings they went out and got weren't effective, right? Like the Dalton Varsho trade does not look particularly great as Gabriel Moreno continues to be awesome in the playoffs despite uh, the Diamondbacks getting hammered last night. Um, but Kevin Kiermaier more than delivered on that deal. Brandon Bell more than delivered on that deal. Uh, you know, Matt Chapman's a free agent now, but he certainly delivered on, on that kind of handful of non-prospect prospects uh, that that they gave up for that. So, um, you know, a lot of what the team had planned and envisioned worked. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alec Manoa, and Alejandro Kirk just all took steps back so dramatic uh, offensively in the case of Vlad and Kirk, and and then pitching-wise in the case of Manoa, that you couldn't really scenario plan for losing like a combined nine wins above replacement from those guys, um, particularly the offensive side for, for Vlad and Kirk. Yeah, huge, huge uh, gaps between what we might have expected and what they delivered. And and so now, you know, the Jays are at a point where, as you said, Chapman, Belt, Merrifield, Kiermaier, I mean, those guys are temporarily, at least, they're out the door. And and maybe there's a path where one or more of those guys comes back. I certainly, like of the four, I think Kiermaier probably makes the most sense, um, but you could make a case for others. And as of this moment, that's 11 war of production off of your 2023 roster that's just gone. So I don't know that they necessarily are going to get 11 projected war in free agency or, or in their offseason. Like that's a lot to try to get in one offseason. But I think they need to try to get eight or nine projected war. And, uh, you know, that's another way of saying you need to have four really good players, four solid major league players that are added to this team. Well, here's a, here's a scary thing. Before contract options so there will be more names added to this list as guys decline their options but pure free agents there are only 15 guys who were worth two wins above replacement or more last year which is roughly the cutoff of league average player and only eight of those were position players so yeah it is slim pickings you can get into the option guys you know i i think People, if you really want to get deep with this stuff, maybe start familiarizing yourself with uh, with KBO players like uh, Young Hu Lee. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a real thin class. Yeah, it really is. Like, and this is where okay. So now let's let's start naming names. Okay. Like, um, you know, I think there's so many. Obviously, Shohei Otani is the the big name out there. And there are so many other names that are at least somewhat interesting. But I do think that, broadly speaking, this is not a strong group. There are not a lot of players that you would even project for more than, like, two war. If you get a two war player in this market, it's like you're patting each other on the back in the front office when that deal gets done. Because there aren't even a lot of those guys. Like, it is hard to find even an average major league position player in this class. And you start, the more I started looking at this, the more I'm, I'm like talking myself into Isaiah Kiner Falefa. I'm talking myself into Ahmed Rosario. I'm like Heimer Candelario there. That's, that's a stud. In this Heimer market. Candelario is probably out of your price range. If you're talking about like, if you don't see him as an everyday unquestioned starting piece, like he might be the number four position player on the market. Like he's going to be pricey for a oh, guy yeah. who was available for not 
very much in trade equity just a couple months ago. Oh, he timed it perfectly. It's a it's a great time for him to be out there on on the free agent market. I actually think he probably does project as a guy who signs as an everyday player, probably gets a, at least a two-year deal, maybe a three-year deal. And I don't know if you, I mean, you want the player, like you need good players, but at a certain point with all of these players, it becomes a, a question of risk and how much you're, you're willing to take on. So I guess as you've started surveying these these names, and obviously it's early and our opinions will evolve as the offseason progresses here and we learn more, but does anyone jump out to you as a, as a particularly interesting uh, candidate for trade or, or free agency? Yeah, I mean, look, there are. St- this is the thing about baseball, right? Is like there are still names, and uh, there are a lot of guys who are eye of the beholder types. And, and you know, I used to do this as a as a regular bit of you give me ninety seconds on someone's Fangraphs page, I can absolutely sewer the guy for you, or I can sell you on him. Like this is the the tough part about this time of year. Now, I do like Young Hu Lee if if he gets posted out of the KBO, like a center fielder type who's still young and is more of a hit for contact piece, some some experience in the corner outfields, but he'd probably be pretty expensive. Um, the name, I guess, I want to throw to you just to see if, like just to level set with what is aiming too high, is someone like Cody Bellinger completely out of reach with, with what we anticipate the Blue Jays doing here? Bit of a weird one in that he is split time at first base and center field. So, um, you know, positionally where he fits in is a little interesting, but obviously a, a lefty power bat that's coming off maybe his second best season and is, you know, outside of Shohei Otani, by far the most productive hitting free agent in the class, assuming he declines that $17 million option. Oh, yeah. I mean, he'll definitely hit free agency. He'll definitely be the best position player out there, not named Shohei Otani. Um, Just a a quick aside on the position player flexibility the Blue Jays have before I answer on Bellinger. I actually think like they can literally sign anyone because they have an opening at second base, arguably. I mean, it could be Biggio Schneider, it could be Biggio Espinal, but they could put someone at second, third, left field, or DH. And so almost every major league player plays one of those defensive positions and literally every major league position player can slot in at DH. So there is no one that they cannot consider. Now, as for Ballinger, yeah, they're going to have interest in him. He'll be one of their top targets, um, as he should be. Now, that will apply to a lot of teams that will want Cody Bellinger, um, and I think his price will be pretty high. I would expect him to sign for something like $168, million, over seven years. And that's a really lofty price. That would be the biggest contract in the history of the Toronto Blue Jays if they were to complete that. But I don't think that will prevent them from showing strong interest in Cody Bellinger because he is a really, really good player. He is entering his age 28 season. So this is a young player who does a lot of things really well. He is fast. He hits the ball really hard. He set a career best in strikeout rate this past season. He might have been a bit a little bit lucky with the Cubs and benefited from some good fortune. But man, this is a really, really good player. And I think that there are scenarios where the Jays could sign him and sign a few other complimentary pieces and have a really good offseason built around Cody Bellinger. Drilled center field. Well struck. Sawinski turns, looks, gone. Oh, baby, onto the batter's eye. He crushed it. Am I remembering right that the Jays at least were like 
loosely interested in Bellinger before he signed with the Cubs last year? Yes, that's exactly right. They did have interest. They, I mean, he's a Scott Boris client. The Jays are going to be closely engaged with Scott Boris once again, not only because of Matt Chapman and Hunjin Ryu, but, you know, Boris represents a lot of really good players, some of whom, you know, we'll get to in the course of this conversation. But yes, they did have interest in Cody Bellinger last offseason. I'm not sure exactly how far down the line they got, um, but they had interest in Bellinger then. They will definitely have interest in him now. But again, like the more I looked at this, you know, I'm not trying to downplay it because he is a fit. They will have real interest in him. But the more I looked at this, the more I'm like, they need to have interest in so many different players because there are so many different scenarios out there and they need to be prepared for, okay, if they sign Bellinger, well, what does that mean? That means they're probably going a little bit cheaper in other areas. So that also means, okay, you have to fill third base. That's not going to be easy to fill. So let's say you're signing Bellinger. Well, you're spending $24 million, let's say, on him out of the 45 that you have. So you still have a number of positions to cover in that situation. Maybe the cheap third baseman is Evan Longoria. So therefore, the Blue Jays also need to have some interest in Evan Longoria. Not to say that he's their top, top priority, but you need to have him on the radar, Justin Turner on the radar, Ahmed Rosario, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, these guys who might not break the bank, but can fill a need for you in the scenario where you're spending a lot of your money on that one player. So, you know, all of this to say, and this this is useful in the, in the context of the rumors that are sure to pop up this offseason, but when you see Blue Jays interested in Justin Turner, like, yeah, that makes sense. They should have interest in him. He's one player who makes sense in some situations of the dozens and dozens that this front office will consider. Yeah, there's a lot. And look, you said a couple names in there that I know wouldn't be the sexiest to people. Ahmed Rosario is like, I think that's a name you should get familiar with because most of the guys who have, you know, if you're, again, the Jays have a ton of positional versatility here, but we know that they also prefer guys who can fill in a couple spots. Uh, Most of the guys who are in this free agent class and can play some third base and second base are like 35 years old. Like it's Donovan Solano or like dust off Josh Harrison or see what Adam Frazier has left. It's that kind of guy, um, Escobar even. And then the angels somehow have like 20 free agents who are uh, of interest, even though they were very bad. Ahmed Rosario is only going to turn 28 in the off season. And I do wonder, Ben, if you think that there is, I mean, you mentioned him twice already, so I, I can gather that you like him. But a guy who not only was quite bad for Cleveland this year, but was traded to the Dodgers and was like a little better, but not particularly good. A guy like that who is only going to turn 28. This is the worst season he's had in the last you know, five years, if we exclude the, the pandemic shortened season. You know, probably not a buy low in that he'll be real cheap but relative to maybe what you could get out of him as a two and a half three win guy if he if he bounced back um is that kind of why rosario's been front of mind for you in this conversation yeah i think he's a really good player and you're right like i do like him i think that he'd be a great pickup for the jays at the right price if they can convince him um to to sign which of course is the other half of all these scenarios and not everyone wants to sign for what um opportunity you can offer them but in the case of Rosario, like he has youth, which is appealing. He can play shortstop, second base. So that's obviously a skill set that you don't want to take for granted. He hits lefties really well. He doesn't strike out a ton. Like I like guys that don't, especially if you're talking about a bench role, 
I like guys that don't strike out all that much. Um, that's why I'm drawn to a Kiner Falefa. That's why I like uh, a guy like Jake Fraley as a trade candidate. I think Fraley is a, is a great you know, option for the Blue Jays to look at. He would be on the strong side of a platoon, you know, strikeout rate that's really, really manageable, puts the ball in play more and just creates more pressure on the other defense. So those are the guys that I tend to gravitate to a little bit. But yeah, Rosario definitely fits that mold. And he would be someone that would start against lefties. He could bat sixth against lefties. No problem there. Come off the bench against righties, play in a hundred you know, maybe 110, 120 games for you when it's all said and done and could easily pop as like a two, two and a half war player. Yeah, he, I mean, he was worth, I think, 5.2 total over the last two seasons um, before having the, this kind of down year there. Um, this is a, a bit of a hard pivot. I should have asked it when we were talking about uh, Bellinger initially. There is also like the poor man's Bellinger out there in Jock Peterson, who also cut his strikeout rate this year, <laughs> probably more of a, you know, just the strong side of a platoon guy. Uh, I do wonder though. So he didn't, he didn't play any center field this year. Um, you know, another candidate, uh, the opposite side of a platoon would be say an Adam Duvall type who dealt with injuries, but can play center. When we're talking about these guys, again, you laid out that you can go a lot of ways positionally because the Blue Jays have this positional versatility with who's back on the roster. But just how much are you weighing if you're going to spend the money on the outfielder, the ability to, hey, in a pinch, we can have you play 25 games in center? Uh, yeah, I think that's a big bonus. That's what I like about someone like Dylan Carlson, who I think could okay. be a possible trade candidate. Again, Dylan Carlson, a guy who doesn't strike out a ton, has the center field experience. Dylan Carlson, like relatively young, he's entering his age 25 season in 2024. I think a Carlson for Alec Manoa trade template is probably a fair structure to mm. contemplate. Um, I'm not saying the Jays would do it. I'm not saying the Cardinals would do it. I'm just saying... For me, as I look at it from the outside, I'm like, eh, that's kind of fair. Um, you know, each team getting a little upside, each team taking on some risk. So, you know, I could see, I like Carlson for that reason. Jock Peterson, I don't even view Jock Peterson as a left fielder anymore. Like, I think right. Jock Peterson, in my scenarios, the way I've mapped it out, I, I there are scenarios where I have Jock Peterson on the Blue Jays because I really like what he brings as a righty masher. Um, and I think that they're, you know, you can complement him with right-handed hitters, um, you know, like even an Ahmed Rosario, who who really hits um, those left-handed pitchers really well. Um, there are other guys on in that mold, whether it's a, you know, a Connor Joe as a trade candidate, whether it's, you know, obviously Tommy Pham, not that you're going to necessarily get Pham and Peterson in the same offseason. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a little fantastical. Um, but uh, I think that you're looking at guys who can give you positional versatility, but for me, Jock Peterson is purely a DH, maybe left fielder, and you're only acquiring him if you have three other outfielders that you like. So you mentioned Dylan Carlson there. Obviously, three years of control. He's expected to be very inexpensive in his first year of ARB here. Um, Connor Joe, another type that can bounce around a little bit, although, although he hasn't played uh, center. If we're talking about trade targets, um, I, I wonder if you think we should dust off our trade deadline conversations around Lane Thomas, who has two years of control left. He's estimated to get about $7 million in arbitration this offseason for a Nationals team that isn't particularly that close to competing. Um, you're not going to trade Alec Manoa for, you know, once once a guy's 28 and nearing free agency and has already gotten more expensive, the the 
you know, the value proposition there has probably gone too far the other way. But Thomas as another one of those, hey, uh, you know, short side, not even short side of the platoon because he hit righties fairly effectively this year, but uh, a guy who can fit in and then also play center field. I think he played 10, 15 games in center this year and was, you know, solid-ish. Yeah, I like Lane Thomas. I mean, he's a good player and entering his age 28 season, like, you know, you get a little bit of youth there. You're not necessarily expecting that he totally transforms your franchise, but he's a good major league player, 2020 player this past season, a lot to like there. So yeah, I I think the question becomes what you give up in trade. And I, if I'm the Jays, like here are some guys that I would be very comfortable trading. And um, tell me which ones you agree or disagree with here, because I'm I'm curious to hear. But, you know, if I'm the Jays, you're comfortable, obviously, trading like a Zulueta. You're obviously comfortable trading. I think a Nate Pearson could be on the table. You're not going to get a huge amount for him, but I think you could be willing to trade him. Um, I think you could be willing to trade Alec Manoa, clearly. Um, that's that's something that should be on the table. I wonder if Alec Manoa would be willing to have you trade Alec Manoa. I... This is a guess. <laughs> I have not spoken to Alec Manoa. I think he would be okay with that. Yeah. Um, is a guess. I think, too, like Spencer Horowitz might have some value. You know, positionally, defensively, probably not a ton, but he's got really, really good numbers at AAA and he's already reached the majors. Like, I, I'd be willing if I was the Jays, especially in, in a scenario where you're going out there and, like, let's say you're adding Reese Hoskins as a DH on a one or two year deal. Well, there's not really a huge pathway for playing time at that point for a Spencer Horowitz, but he does have value. So maybe a team like the Nationals would have some interest in Spencer Horowitz. He doesn't get you Lane Thomas on his own, but Spencer Horowitz plus a couple prospects maybe. I, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of brainstorming here, but there could be pathways to getting a deal done. Yeah, certainly. And, and you know, there are teams that have shown they'll use this, like. Milwaukee is going to not to keep trading left-handed positionless guys to the Brewers, but like they're almost surely going to non-tender Rowdy Tellez and they needed help in that spot. Even when Rowdy was ineffective and hurt this year, you know, is, is that a team or the type of team that would take a look at someone like that? And I know that, you know, then you can get into scenarios where they have a middle infielder who's getting pretty expensive and who knows what their appetite is to, you know, ride out 12, 12 and a half million for Willie Adamas a year ahead of, um, or rather two years ahead of free agency because he, he's got the, uh, the extra year there, uh, or no, he's, he's a free agent. One year. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, estimated at like 12, 12 and a half. So maybe there's a bigger package you can work out with a team like that who whose needs align. I know this was supposed to be more of a free agent discussion, but I really do think in such a weak free agent year where you have this roster versatility on the position player side, um, you can get creative with trades. Is Willie Adamas too? I know he's coming off not the, the best of years, but is that aiming a little too high? A guy who was a four and a half win guy last year? Oh, I, I think, yeah, Willie Adamas would be awesome. Like, that would be one of the best acquisitions the Jays could make. Um, you know, shy of uh, Shohei Otani, which, uh, you know, not holding my breath there. That would have to be an ownership decision, obviously. Um, you know, Shohei Otani, just let's let's mention it because, you know, this is the time where anything is on the table um, before we get back to Willie Adamas. But with with Shohei, clearly he wants to win. That's his number one priority from everyone I've spoken to in the industry. And his number two priority, I think all things being equal, would be to sign on the West Coast. So he'll be a Dodger. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, obviously Shohei Otani, Cody Bellinger, those are the best players that you could add on the position side. And then short of that, 
I think you get to Willie Adamas pretty quickly. Like he's a really good major league player and he's pretty young. So I think if you could get Santiago Espinal for and a couple prospects, like a couple good prospects going to Milwaukee for Willie Adamas, that could be a win-win deal. But the Jays will not be alone in pursuing him. And my guess is the Brewers would probably rather just hang on to Willie Adamas unless they get like something, you know, notable for it. But they do have like a lot of holes to fill if they intend to compete again. And obviously they won that division pretty handily this year, but they have, you know, they have holes. They were starting Josh Donaldson down the stretch. Um, you know, if, it, if it's a case where you could offer them, you know, multiple major league ready pieces, even if they're not as high end, uh, maybe. My guess is still that they probably just keep Willie Adamas and pay him and, you know, yeah. ride it back and revisit if they, if they don't, but I know he's a guy you like. So I thought I, I'd throw it out there as we were uh, kicking around ideas. Yeah. And I think you're right to say that like broadly the Jays need to be like, they're going to make trades. They're going to make mm-hmm. a trade or two this off season. Like, I think that's, that's a pretty safe assumption that every winter, like you look back at what the blue Jays have done. They always make a trade. They always sign free agents. All that stuff is going to happen this year. Um, and so, especially with a weak free agent class, you can probably help yourself out by making a trade or two to supplement the team in that way. Of course, other teams will be thinking along similar lines. So there will be pressure. Um, there will be competition for the appealing trade targets out there. And that will mean that prices are high there as well. And it's it's a tricky offseason. Like, there's, there's no question. And you also have to balance hey, what do we think is realistic from our internal group of prospects? Because if the Jays are going to win the World Series next year, part of it is you need to have a good first two months, right? Like April and May count. You want to go into you know the beginning of June with a 35 and 25 record as opposed to the other way around. So those games count. That's a big part of why the offseason is important. But ideal world, by June... Maybe you have an Allen Roden popping. Maybe you have an Aurelvis Martinez who's ready for the major leagues. And so you also don't want to totally block the guys that you have in your system. If they're even back, though, because if we're talking about these trades, I know we didn't get to finish your your list of guys you'd be comfortable trading. Like, are Barger, Aurelvis, Roden types on that list? Sure. If I'm the Jays, I'd be willing to trade Barger. Yeah. Aurelvis. I don't think you're trading Aurelvis for one year of Willie Adamas, but you could trade Aurelvis in the in the right deal, if you're getting like a core player, like you're not trading a Relvis for Jake Fraley. Uh, you know, that's Jake Fraley is like a, you know, a platoon bat, you know, that's, that's a good player, but I don't think you're trading, or, you know, one of your top organizational prospects for that. Um, but in the right deal for the big enough return. Um, yeah, sure. Right. Like I, I would, I'd be open to trading any, like literally any Blue Jays prospect I think can be traded. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Tiedemann's probably the one name, given the lack of starting pitching depth at the high parts of the minor leagues, that you'd probably, you know, you'd have to be getting something really special to to put Tiedemann on the table, given that, you know, he's not even, it doesn't even have to be on the 40-man yet. The upside is where it is. Uh, apparently, he's looked pretty good at, down at Arizona Fall League. Obviously, not entirely stretched out for like a full season of major league workload, but we're talking about, the best pitching prospect they've had in a, in a minute here. So he's probably the one guy that you'd have to be, you know, real certain about what, what you're getting back there. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair. You've got a ton of options that this can unfold. And I, I think that for the Jays, like, it's interesting when you start actually mapping out the steps because there's some guys that are 
fits in almost every scenario. And this is where, like, for example, an Ahmed Rosario or, for example, even like a James Paxton, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, the guys who don't break the bank, who can help regardless of what other moves you make later in the offseason, these are the deals that you could make like in the first week of free agency. A Jake Fraley even is one of them. Like, would you do this, Blake? Would you do Spencer Horowitz and Nate Pearson for Jake Fraley? Hmm. Um, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here. No, like, no, that's okay. Yeah. I, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, how many years of control does Fraley? He's got like three years of control left, right? Yeah, he's got a few. I, don't, I actually should have it in front of me. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, I mean, a guy who can play the the corner outfields and, and you know, so, kind of satisfies that lefty bat where Belt and Kiermaier are, are potentially outbound. I, I think I'd do that. Like, I, I don't really see a path to Horwitz having a, a big role in this team, even though I, I'm fond of him, because I think, you know, when we're talking about that DH position too, like George Springer DH days are also something we should maybe have in our mind at least yep. a little bit versus a, a full-time DH guy. So, yeah, someone who can corner outfield capably and you know i know he's another guy did you just filter for guys who trim their strikeout rates this year because he's another guy who i remember seeing uh had trimmed his so yeah i think i do that and like i like nate pearson but at this point like okay it's a couple years of a guy who's probably i guess almost certainly at this point just a reliever right yeah yeah and i think he might be a very good one but he's had some chances um his and the velocity has not translated into impact results just yet. So, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. It doesn't appear that he is, um, you know, the pitcher that the Blue Jays really dreamed that he would be. So that's that's fine. Not to say that he can't be a good reliever, but I think that you have to give up something good to get something good. So that's where I would be, you know, open to that. Yeah, I, I think, like, here's another name that I like a lot. And, and I think your point about Springer and the DH spot is a really good one because Springer's getting older and... I, I think definitely you can't rely on him in center field. But even in right field, you want to make sure that you're asking him for, I don't know, maybe 100 games. And then I mean, Kevin Biggio looked real good out there. I just don't know that Kevin Biggio can simultaneously start at second, third, and right field. If anyone can do it, it's him. But. <laughs> yeah. The 3-2 and a line drive to right field. Biggio back, jumps, and he made the catch. Another good defensive play by Kevin Biggio. Like, Kevin Biggio, in literally every scenario that I've mapped out here, Kevin Biggio starts against right-handed pitching. Yeah, and probably ends up with what? Like, 120 games between starting against right-handed pitching and being a bench piece against lefties? Uh, honestly, like, maybe, yeah, maybe more. Yeah. He played 111 this year. Because in the scenario that, like, I actually really like, and, and I'll, I want to get back to, to the DH stuff in a second, but... um. I actually kind of like the idea of having a few lefties in the, say, six, seven, eight spots of the Blue Jays' order. Like a lefty like Biggio, like Jock Peterson, like Jake Fraley. Um, some of these guys, even a Joey Votto, I don't think it's likely, but like, okay, it's mm -hmm. it's a possibility. But Dalton Varsho could be in this mix. Left-handed bats that you stack three in a row, and they're good players. Like they start for you against right-handed pitching. But then the moment that the opposing manager goes to a lefty reliever, you flip them all out and you bring in right-handed hitters. So it's David Schneider who comes in. You've got maybe it's an Ahmed Rosario who's coming in off the bench. Maybe you sign a Tommy Pham. You know, maybe it's a Michael A. Taylor. You have some guys who then swap in and you do a line change at that point. And then come playoff time, a team <laughs> yanks Jose Barrios in the fourth inning so that you have to take your, your lefties out of the game. 
Yeah, I'm playing the long game here, <laughs> and uh, that's that's exactly how it's going to go in the 2024 playoffs. So that's you know that's just one sort of stray thought here. But on the DH front, I think like part of the reason I don't love you know the idea of let's say it's a Jorge Soler, a JD Martinez, the Jays again they will have interest in these guys. They will explore a at least hey what are you guys looking for? Is there a fit? Um, you know what kind of what kind of term? What kind of opportunity? Those conversations will happen. But are Soler and J.D. Martinez really good fits for a team that has Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first, George Springer who's going to need some DH at-bats? At a certain point, you start locking yourself in and getting a little bit inflexible. And I don't love the idea of that, but I do like the idea of one first base DH type a lot, and that is Reese Hoskins. Okay. I will say, I would I would find my way there mentally for Jorge Soler. You drop 35, 40 home runs in there. I, I will find my way to making space for him or just dealing with, you know, 40 games out of him playing a, a really poor corner outfield. So Reese Hoskins will be a free agent um, heading in. He's, he's 30 now, coming off another 30 home run season. He's been about the most consistent hitter you can find over the last six years or so. I, I guess why the appetite for him in that spot versus, you know, some of the other names? Is it just the consistency piece with the bat? Well, it, it is. And I think it, he might actually because, so he he did hit the 30 homers in 22, but in 23, he was out. Oh, with right. The, he um, missed the whole season. Sorry. Yes, exactly. So, but now he's fully recovered or, or almost to the point, like maybe might play in the World Series. Um, certainly by spring training, he'll be good to go. I think it was Achilles or it was Achilles or ACL, but um, he missed the entire season. But that will put him in a position to either get a one-year pillow contract. He's another Boris guy. So one-year pillow contract, I don't know, is that $20 million? Like, great. You get an age 30 season or age 31 season, $20 million, like 30 homer bat. This is a guy who's really consistently been an above-average hitter in the major leagues. I like that. Even on a two-year deal, if you wanted to do that, sure. You know, age 31, age 32. To me, that's a more appealing configuration than going out there and hoping that Joey Votto turns it around at 40 or hoping that J.D. Martinez at age 36 is going to go out there and give you that same kind of production. So, yeah, Reese Hoskins, it it was an ACL, that early season injury backing up uh, a play and and my brain fog of... You know, not <laughs> slipping on that. Um, as I watched the Phillies in the off se- in the postseason without Reese Hoskins, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I could see it certainly, and that that ability to, you know, I I don't know the the say the Bellinger type deal that was what seventeen point five with a seventeen point five player option. Um, you know, that kind of framework yeah. is is pretty established around baseball now as a as a you know rehab your value deal where yeah there's a little bit of a player side and I don't know that for for a guy that is primarily DHing for you if you worry all that much about the comeback from uh the ACL because you know you don't need him to play a ton of first base and um you know I'd imagine obviously there's always a concern with swing mechanics and you know Pat we we saw Acuña's kind of power get sapped at at one point because of the the knee issue or whatever but he's you know, he'll have had a, an entire year at that point. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, especially if the Jays are willing to take some year two downside risk to get guys in for year one. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting too because in all of this, the Jays have to manage 
the question of balance and risk. Like they can't go all in for 2024 if that means that 2025 is going to be filled with all these backloaded contracts and aging players. And you know, you do have and, to and Vlad's 40 million arbitration number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Because that will eat up another you know six seven million of payroll. So you know, it gets it gets pretty complicated. You also need to balance left right. In the batting order, you need to make sure that you have a good bench in all of these situations, like a functional bench that works. Um, you need to balance players who are out of options, like an Ernie Clement, with players who do have options. So there are a lot of different factors. And, you know, I, another possibility I want to throw at you here, Blake, is, as long as we're just kind of, you know, brainstorming, is the the idea, and you mentioned earlier, the KBO position player, um, but but out of Japan, you have Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is viewed as a elite pitcher, someone um, who is just 25 years old and could slot in at the front of a lot of major league rotations. And so even though the Blue Jays have a really good starting rotation, I think they should be interested. And I think they will be. They've had a very, very strong presence on the Pacific Rim in recent years, including this current season, um, scouting really uh, proactively uh, some of these players, including Yamamoto. And so I would expect that they will have interest in Yamamoto. And I think that's a really good idea because, look, you you know, you can do a lot worse than just having a dominant rotation and, and just filling in the gaps around that. And maybe it means you spend less on position players, but I, I just I wouldn't rule that possibility out. Yeah, I mean he's he's also a blast to watch, right? Because he's he's so undersized relative to what we're used to seeing from starting pitchers where, you know, like like Sonny Gray looks so small on the mound, even though he's five foot ten, um, and just like relative to what we're used to seeing from pitchers, especially in that Twins rotation of Giants. And yeah, Yamamoto would come in five ten, and I think like significantly more slender than Sonny Gray. He's a blast to watch. Um, and yeah, the, I mean the numbers. Even if you don't trust stat translations from Japan, if you have three straight seasons with a sub two ERA pitching big innings, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine you can figure it out. I'm I'm with you in theory, Ben. That I don't think there's you know we we lay this out off the top that maybe you're not looking too much at the starting rotation because with limited resources you have way more holes to fill on the the hitter side. Now I think that generally speaking, it's never really a bad idea to address pitching depth. You would certainly have a market if you end up with too much pitching. Um, First of all, no team has ever ended up with too much pitching. And second, if you did, you would have a market for those guys that that would help you address elsewhere. Um, I just, I, I think I'm still shaking off the discussion around the postseason, um, not necessarily the decision, but if that is how you're going to operate in the highest leverage of games, um, you know, does it make sense to continue to pour money into a rotation where you already have four good pieces? Um, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of yeah. working through that and, and what the what the course correction if at all, might be from the Blue Jays in terms of, you know, what does starting pitching usage look like in the postseason? We're we're seeing here, you know, a Phillies team getting a lot of run out of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. Um, You know, would that be different for them in a must-win game like the Blue Jays were facing? I'm not really sure, but that's kind of the the asset allocation part of, you know, everyone chalked it up to, oh, analytics. And I think that was reductive. But the analytics question here actually is, well, if that is how you're going to operate in the highest leverage of spots, you know, should that make you rethink 
how you're spreading your resources around it. And that's something I'm still trying to sort through how I think the Blue Jays might view it, if that makes any sense. No, it does. That's actually like a really interesting question because like you say, maybe philosophically, if you want to have some continuity, maybe you should just sign a Michael Lorenzen and it's 20 over two. And, you know, that's a fraction of what Yamamoto will cost. And so maybe that allows you to use your pitching staff in the way that you want to use it. And, uh, you know, I, I can see that case. I could also see the case where they say, look, you got to get there. This is a guy who can help you win the division. He can help you just totally avoid the wildcard series and all the chaos there because he's going to lead you to an AL East title. And then you're not in those must-win games until a game five of the DS. And, you know, you can actually use him and, and you know, it unfolds that way. And maybe you you sign him and maybe you actually, in that scenario, you trade Yusei Kikuchi to the Twins for Jorge Polanco. You know, like mm. it's a one year for one year and the Twins need pitching because Sonny Gray is hitting free agency. And so, you know, maybe that's a, a win because obviously Jorge Polanco is really good. Another low strikeout guy. Um, and, you know, Polanco would be great on this Jays team. He could play third. Boom. There's your replacement for Matt Chapman. And you have yourself the makings of a really good offseason. So, again, there are I've, I've considered like so many, so many scenarios. And I'm sure that internally the Blue Jays have have considered way more than that even so there's so many things on the table and it's actually like it's been just broadly an interesting exercise to look at this because it just sort of informs like for me at least like when I hear and sometimes I'm producing these rumors and sometimes I hear these rumors (laughs) but that is a funny way to phrase I'm reporting something. I'm producing rumors. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I uh, as as someone who worked at MLB Trade Rumors for uh, for four or five years, I think if anyone can say that they produce rumors, I, I feel like I have license to say that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I've produced a few rumors in my day. Um, yeah, when you hear Blue Jays interested in, you know, yeah, let's say Jock Peterson, uh, to name one example of many. Blue Jays interested in Josh Bell. Blue Jays interested in J.D. Martinez, in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, in Kenta Maeda, in James Paxton, like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. They should have interest in every single one of those players because, you know, short of, again, the, the top relievers like Craig Kimbrell, if someone says the Blue Jays are interested in Craig Kimbrell on a three-year deal, I'll be like, what? That doesn't make <laughs> sense. But short of that, I'm like, yeah, they should have interest in all of these guys. Yeah, they absolutely should. And again, to the flexibility piece, like as much as we have guys that we think will be on the roster, like there are only five guys, I think right now that you would say are locked into a specific position. And it's Jansen and Kirk as the two catchers, Vlad at first base, Bo at shortstop and Springer in right field. Everyone else, even if you think they're going to have an everyday role, it could, hey, Varsho's probably the everyday center fielder. If a really good center fielder came around or Kevin Kiermaier came back, he can shift the left field. Biggio's probably in there a bunch, but he could shift all over the place. Um, so there's a, yeah, there's there are so many different ways to improve the team, which is obviously a huge opportunity for this Blue Jays front office. It does make exercises like this um, a little bit anxiety-inducing where we're going to be over an hour here and I'm going to think of some name we didn't mention 10 minutes from now when I'm walking <laughs> to the studio and I get a text to you like, oh man, we got to go back on air. I, I forgot about... Uh, I don't know. I don't, Michael Taylor as a as a center field bench yeah. option. Like um, that's that's kind of the way the the baseball offseason works. But especially in an offseason where yeah, it's not as simple as Matt Chapman out, so third baseman must come in. Right, and I think 
hey, we're podcast hosts, Blake. We can we can forget a couple names. That's okay. Our goal is not to be 100%. I mean, I forgot Reese Hoskins missed the whole year for a second there. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know what? Until like a few days ago, I forgot that a lot of these guys, you know, were, were you know, necessarily on the radar to the extent that they might be. Um, but it's the Blue Jays' job to be completely comprehensive. Obviously, they have many, many front office people involved in making sure that they have a full understanding of these players, who they are as people, what motivates them, how they might fit between the lines, how they might fit in the clubhouse. That is a extremely complex exercise that takes the the devoted efforts of like dozens of people and, and builds up to one single outcome. But I guess it's really interesting because you know, you and I are sitting here. We have we put effort into this. We put thought into this. I'm taking this exercise seriously. But it's interesting because there are so many, so many possibilities out there, and uh, there are a lot of ways to make this team better. Uh, I think that they should go into this offseason believing that they can absolutely field a contending team in 2024. I think this this team should project as a team to to win something like 91 to 93 games with upside well beyond that. That's not going to be easy, but I think it's very achievable given the resources and the the talent that they have in place. And look, again, to, to repeat a point that we made earlier, the ability to identify and acquire the right targets in free agency and do that cost-effectively has not been an issue for this front office. That is not where the shortcomings have come for these Blue Jays teams uh, whiffing on, you know, free agent guys or, or the type of guys, you know, the Chapman trade was... Real good. The Semyon signing was good. Kiermaier and Belt signings were were good. Um, you know, you can Robbie Ray, Stephen Matz. Yeah, yeah they've, they've Chris had good Bassett. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like Dal- the Dalton Varsho thing is going to stand out just because Gabriel Moreno looks like a legitimate potential star. Um, but it's also possible, you know, Varsho has a better season next year and it doesn't look quite as bad. Although I still think, you know. Six years of Gavra Moreno. Uh, I don't know that this one's going yeah. to age in the other no, direction. No, that looks like but an L, right? Now, you have to take sure. swings, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe that's not the swing you would have taken. But for the most part, yeah, the shortcomings have not been these type of moves we're talking about. They, they've come elsewhere. Yeah. So they're in a really good position. Um, you know, it's going to require some creativity. I don't think it ends with Shohei Otani as a Blue Jay. I don't think it ends Boo. with Cody Bellinger. <laughs> I don't think Cody Bellinger ends up being a Blue Jay either. Um, but I think they will have serious interest in Bellinger. Um, and I think from there on down the list, like there's, and, and you know, we'll see where it goes. But I think that um, at least on the position player side, no one's off the table. There are scenarios where almost anyone um, could end up in Toronto. And um, that makes for an exciting time. So should be a lot of fun to follow. Any closing thoughts here, Blake, before I let you go to your to your many other obligations uh, here at Sportsnet? Yeah, I got to go switch back to basketball uh, in yeah. a second here. I don't think I have anything else. It's uh, I think the weirdest part of this offseason is it's probably the first one that I can ever remember where I just kind of skipped past the reliever free agents. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I think that makes a lot of sense for the Jays. Like, find some six-year minor league free agents. Find some guys that you can pop into your AAA um, bullpen. But, yeah, it's it's not the place to spend this winter for the Jays. Um, so, Blake, really appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully, we can catch up again. And you can either update me on the... Uh, is Fred Van, Van Vliet's gone, right? He's sent yeah, somewhere else. Van Vliet yeah. got the, the bag uh, big time to go to Houston. Okay, okay. So you can update me on how he's doing and 
Um, Gary Trent Jr., is he he's a Raptor still? He's still a Raptor. He picked up a player option so that he can hit free agency this coming uh, summer. So big, big walk year for him. Okay, nice. Well, I'm sure I'll get all the details from you at some point. And in the meantime, thank you so much for your baseball insights, um, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's always fun talking Jays with you. So appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. That is it for At The Letters this week. We will be back at some point soon. Uh, in the meantime, thanks very much to you for listening, uh, for sticking with us here after a, a you know frustrating Blue Jays season. But it's time to look ahead. So I'm glad that you were able to join us for that this week. Thanks as well to Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade for producing. And we will talk to you soon on At The Letters. Mm-hmm.